All right, well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks for coming out tonight. It's uh, impressive uh, to be here. Uh, I know I was blessed by just participating in the song service, the music. I'm very thankful to God for, um, for the friendship I have with Pastor King. Um, he is a true friend of mine, and uh, we share very candidly with, with each other and pray for each other. And I love him. I love his wife, his family. I love this church. And I thank God for the light that Riverside is in our community. You've been a light for some time, and you continue to be a bright light in uh, the city of Peoria and the surrounding area, the Dream Center as well. I'm so excited to have Andy back in town and the Dream Center and what the thing, great things are going to happen through that in the upcoming year. And so, yep. It's a joy to be with you here tonight, and uh, I'm going to you know, cheat a little bit. But when John gave me the topic of first, I did a sort of an individual message uh, last weekend at my church uh, called A Fresh Start or New Beginnings. And, um, and I'm going to speak that same message here tonight because it's a message that God is something that in this passage, God is doing things in my own life personally. And I felt this for my church. So I'm going to share it with you tonight because we think about first and we think about starting the year. Um, you know, a lot of times we start a new year with uh, a sense of reflection on the, on the past year. You know, it doesn't take very much effort to turn on the news or grab the newspaper or see a magazine. And we see the people who died last year and the notable events that occurred in society. And there's a lot of reflection that comes with the end of a year. And there's also oftentimes a sense of anticipation, hope, or in some cases, to be honest, pessimism or skepticism about the upcoming year. But as was said earlier during our worship service, there was nothing magical, there was nothing spiritual about a new year. Because in Jesus Christ, we can have a fresh start or a new beginning any day, any time. All right? Any day, any time that we come before Christ, we can find redemption, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and a fresh start. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. So there's always an opportunity to move forward. But there is something practical about a new year that causes us to reflect upon our life and to look forward. And so I've been thinking a lot in my own life about uh, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah, as many of you know, was a prophetic book. Isaiah uh, wrote a lot about the situation facing Israel. There were a lot of prophecies in the book of Isaiah speaking to the coming Messiah, Jesus, uh, speaking about his birth, speaking about the suffering servant. And in the book of Isaiah, the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 42, see the former things have taken place. Behold, new things I declare. And so as the Lord is speaking to the people, he reminds them that there are certain things that are behind us, that the former things have taken place. They are already behind us. We cannot change anything that happened earlier today at work. We cannot change what happened last week, last month, or last year. The former things are behind us. Now we can look at them. We can reflect upon them. We can consider them. We can learn from them. We can evaluate them, but we cannot change them. The former things are past, the Lord said, but I declare new things. And so as we stand here today, we consider the fact that our past is behind us, but we look forward to what is new. We look forward to what is ahead. We look forward to a whole new year. We look forward to a fresh start and a new beginning. And the book of Isaiah, after the Lord speaks that in Isaiah chapter 42, in chapter 43, 19, the Lord then says this word that many of us in this room have heard. Behold, I am doing a new thing, declares the Lord. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. If you have a Bible, open up and look at this verse and just keep it in front of you because we're going to look at this one verse tonight and we're going to exegete this one verse evaluating four lessons that I think we should keep in mind as we evaluate what God is doing. 
All right? And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 43, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. There are four things I want to share with you. Here's the first. As we look ahead to the new year, we must look ahead with confidence that God will be at work. As we look ahead, we must be confident that God will be at work, that God is going to be doing his thing through the Holy Spirit, locally, nationally, in our lives, in our world. Isaiah 43, uh, 19 starts by saying this, See or behold, I want you to be alert to something I am doing. So God is actively at work, he tells the people, at a time when many of the people are questioning whether God is at work. As a matter of fact, even Isaiah, who is writing these words, as Isaiah was preaching and teaching the people, the Bible tells us that basically no one was listening. So Isaiah is proclaiming a message that people are rejecting. And I'm quite sure that as Isaiah wrote these words, at at moments of maybe struggle or doubt, he's asking himself, God, I'm proclaiming these words and I'm not seeing you at work. I mean, think about many of the things that Isaiah spoke and said took hundreds of years before they were ever manifested. There were people that had to read those verses and say, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure God's going to bring judgment. Sure there's going to be a Messiah uh, born. You know, sure this surfing servant is going to occur or going to be born of a virgin. Because for hundreds of years, people read these verses and never saw anything happening. But God was most surely at work. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, My Father is always at work, said Jesus in John 5, 17. And he says, I also am working. God is always at work. He is at work globally. I just saw a story about in Nicaragua where uh, a garbage dump there where they had people living this garbage dump and the parents would, would, um, would prostitute their daughters out to the truckers that would come through there and a mission that went and began to rescue these girls and start a home for these girls. A phenomenal story. Uh, God is at work in Nicaragua and Africa and Haiti and the Philippines and France. God is at work all over the world. God is at work nationally. Uh, even as we look at our country and we look at the issues we're facing with race and poverty and violence and politics, even in the midst of the darkness and the despair, God is at work. And God is at work locally in our community and God is at work inside each and every life in this room. Jesus said, I am always at work. Even if we don't see it, even if we don't perceive it, God is doing something. God is always working, all right? And my friends, sometimes God is working to bring about good things and bring healing. And sometimes God imparts his grace into our life. He opens doors of opportunity. He provides and makes provisions and he brings healings. But other times God works in our lives in ways that are not always quite so noticeable. And whether God works and imparts something miraculous into our life or whether God simply works in the means of something that we're doing, God is always at work. Because let me tell you something. Sometimes God does things in our life, and sometimes we do things in our life. For for example, if I choose to go on a new diet for this year, and I choose for my diet to eat Big Macs seven days a week, and start smoking a pack a day, and all of a sudden I develop heart disease, that's not on God, that's on me. If I decide that I'm going to text while driving my car, and I swerve across the center line and hit another vehicle, that's not on God, that's on me. And the person that I hit 
that's not on God, that's on me. They're bearing the consequences of my free choice. So sometimes we live in a culture and a world where we make choices and other people make choices and not everything that happens to us is God's will or God's doing, but even in the midst of those situations, God is still at work. The book of Romans says in Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So even in our trials, even in our hardships, God is at work. And not everything that happens to us is good, but the Bible says that God works for good. So even when we make really bad decisions, even when we lose our course or lose our temper, even if we suffer at the consequences of other people's choices, God is still at work in our life, through our life, around our life, and in this world. God blesses, God opens doors, God challenges, God tests us at times like he tested Hezekiah. The Bible says he tested to see what was in his heart by removing his presence. He tested Abraham by asking him to take his son out and be willing to sacrifice him even though he didn't ultimately have him follow through. God also disciplines those whom he loves. Listen, I don't know what God is going to do in my life. I don't know what God is going to do in your life. I don't know what God is going to do through the Dream Center or through Richwoods or through, through Riverside or in the city of Peoria or in America or in the world. But here's one thing I know. As we step into the new year, we need to be confident to realize that God is at work. No matter what you face, no matter what you do, good, bad, or indifferent, every single situation that you face this year, God will be working in the midst of that. And we need to start by having confidence that God is at work. But second of all, as we look to the new year, we need to look forward with acceptance that things will not be the same. Now, the reason I say this is that sometimes especially those of us in this room that get older, all right? Uh, when we're young, we have more optimism, more excitement, more anticipation, but sometimes the older we get, there are certain things, especially in a changing, chaotic world, there are certain things that we want to hold on to. As a matter of fact, most of us will go through seasons in our life where there are certain things where we'll say, God, I'll give you everything. But in reality, in the back of our mind, we're like, but just not that. God, you can have it all, but just not that. I'll trust you with everything, but I just can't let go of my kids. God, God I'll give you everything, but, but I just still got to be able to, to, to have a little prosecu- uh, uh, you know, uh, prom- you know, promiscuous behavior with, with my boyfriend or girlfriend. God, I'll give you everything except my money. Sometimes we have these compartments that we want to hold on to. And we say, God, just don't touch this. I don't want this to change. But one thing that we can know is going to happen is that as we look to this upcoming year, we can know and we have to embrace it with confidence that God is going to be at work. But we also need to have acceptance of the fact that things are not going to stay the same. It doesn't matter what we want to hold on to. God is going to change things in our life. Even things that we try to hold on to, they may not stay, look, or be the same. In Isaiah 43, 19, it says, see, I am doing what? A new thing. Now, for the people in the days of, 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 of Isaiah, people had certain forms of religion and practice that they had become accustomed to. There were certain rhythms and routines and beliefs and practices. They said, I have God. This is how God works, and this is what I want, and this is how I'm living out my spirituality. But the Lord tried to tell them that he was going to do something different. 
God says, I'm going to do a new thing, something that you haven't yet imagined, something that you cannot conceive. It's going to be different. And so in this upcoming year, our lives are not going to look the same. Our bodies are not going to look the same. Our relationships are not going to look the same. Our church is not going to look the same. Our community is not going to look the same. And while some things may seem to be the same, they will always be evolving. In the book of Revelation 21.5, at the very end of the book of Revelation, the Lord says, the one who is seated on on the throne says, behold, I make everything new. Even in the book of Revelation, God is creating, God is making, God is doing new things even in our midst. The New Testament, when you open the New Testament and you read this this section of Scripture, let me just give you a list of some of the news that I just very quickly came up with. God talks in the New Testament about a new teaching, a new covenant, a new command, a new life, a new way, a new body, a new creation, a new self, a new order, a new birth, a new heaven, a new earth, a new name, a new Jerusalem, a new song, a new hope. Let me tell you something. God is all always doing new things. And when we just want to hold on to the former things, and we just want to hold on to life the way it was, or we want to live our life in the rearview mirror, holding on to what we have, we are missing what God wants to do. And sometimes we spend more time living our life looking in the mirror rather than looking out the window. Jobs will change. Opportunities will present themselves. Bodies will get sick. Bodies will be healed. Babies will be born and people will die. Things are going to change because let me tell you something. God is not a God of maintenance. He is a God of creation and he is a God of transformation. And for many of us, our goal in life sometimes is just maintaining what we have. I just want to maintain my financial health. I want to maintain my body. I want to maintain my controlled, comfortable life. But God is not a God of maintenance. He is a God of transformation. And he is always looking to do new things in our life, through our life, and around our life. When Jesus came and he embodied this whole principle of new things and began to teach a new teaching and teach about the new birth and new life, and obviously the Pharisees, which had a form of living and spirituality that they had felt accustomed to, they struggled with that. They didn't want new. They thought they knew exactly what the Messiah was going to look like. They thought they knew exactly what the Messiah was going to say and do. They thought they knew God better than than God. And when Jesus tried to do new things and say new things and teach new things, they were very, very resistant. So Jesus, in in three of the four Gospels, says, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. He's talking here because the people are coming to him and they're saying, now Jesus, your disciples do not fast. Because we know that God wants us to fast, and we fast multiple days every week. The Pharisees fast, and the people fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus' response to that was, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. Now, Jesus was not saying that fasting was unnecessary. He was not saying that fasting did not have value. But what he was saying is, is that they had a form, a formality of religion a system, a ritual, a pattern that worked for them that they were trying to oppose on everybody. And Jesus said, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. Now, wineskins were made of, uh, they were made out of lambskins. They would take them, they would sew them together. And they would take wine, and they would put wine 
in the wineskins because wine was part of Jewish culture. It was a common thing that people would, would drink. And, and I know this is an Assembly of God church. Believe it or not, it actually was fermented wine. Really, it was. Because we know that when wine would ferment, it would actually expand inside of the skins and it would expand out. And so when you would put wine in a wineskin, the, the wine would ferment, it would expand. It would stretch the, squ- the skin. But after the skin had been stretched, if you put new wine in an old wineskin, the, the skin had no more room to stretch. And because it had no more room to stretch, it would explode, it would crack, it would, it would blow, and the wine would go everywhere. Jesus said you cannot put new wine or wineskin. And what he was telling the people is that they had to be willing to stretch. And they had to be willing to embrace the new things that God was doing because in many ways they had become stagnant, they had become threadbare, they had become, they had become you know, the place where they had no more room to stretch. They thought they had God figured out. And to follow God, we have to continue to be pliable and malleable. We have to be open. We have to allow God to show us new things, to teach us new things, to give new insights into his word and what he may be doing. We have to be open to what God is calling us to do and where God is wanting us to go. But you see, the Pharisees, they had a formalism. They had a rigidity about their spirituality. And they were unwilling to embrace the new. In one of the commentaries I read, it said in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, states that no one having drunk old wine prefers new wine. He says the old wine is better. This pictures the natural reluctance of men and women to abandon the old for the new, Judaism for Christianity, law for grace, shadows for substance. A man accustomed to forms and human arrangements, his father's religion, if you will, never likes new principles, but that is exactly how the power of the kingdom comes. My friends, we must not be resistant to change. We must loosen our grip. It's been said that every one of us come into this world with our fists clenched, clenched, but we all leave the world with our hands wide open. And part of our job from birth to death is to learn how to open our hands and say, God, I just give it all to you. Lord, what do you want to do in my life and through my life? Because my friends, God is always doing new things. George Bernard Shaw says, progress is impossible without change. And my friends, God is always wanting to transform. He is always wanting to change. He is wanting to change me. He is wanting to change you. He is wanting to change the church. He is wanting to change society. And the only way that change is possible, our progress is possible, is with change. And so, my friends, as we look forward, we have to realize that God is doing. He is always going to be at work. And as he is at work, he is going to be doing new things, things that we can't see, things that we can't perceive. In spite of our five goals, in spite of our dreams and our visions and our hopes and everything that we have planned, God is going to surprise us. And he's going to show up when we don't expect it. And he's going to change our plans. and He's going to do things that we don't anticipate. And we need to accept that right now and say, God, with open hands, whatever you want to do, you can do. I'm going to embrace it. It's your, my life is your life. All right, your will be done, not my will. Number three, as we look to the new year, we should look forward with alertness of what God is actually doing. Now, what I mean by this is that sometimes, sometimes God is doing things or trying to do things and we miss it. We do not understand it. Look, look, look back at the verse in Isaiah. It says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. God says it's actually taking place right now. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Because the reality was, even though God was trying to do a new thing, many of the people could not see it. They could not perceive it. They could not grasp it. All right? Now, physically speaking, there's a, there's a, 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 you know, a condition people can have 
called scotoma, where people actually have blind spots where they don't see certain things. Practically speaking, cognitive uh, psychologists have a, a thing called inattention blindness, where we are so focused upon one thing that we miss something else. I mean, practically speaking, how many of you have been to the grocery store and you've been so focused on something, you walk right by someone you know and you don't even see them? And we've all had that experience, right? Or, or someone says, hey, would, would, you, would you grab the salt shaker out of the kitchen? You walk in, it's like, it's not in here. And someone else walks in and goes, it's right there, dummy. It's right in front of you. All right, we all have these blind spots. Sometimes they can be, you know, we can just be hyper-focused. Sometimes we're just spacing out, whatever it may be. But we all miss things that are right in front of us. And the Lord said to the people in the days of Isaiah, now it springs up. I'm doing something incredible in your midst. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see it? And the reality is that sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we become so busy, so hyper-focused on what we want to focus on. And let me just tell you this, sometimes we're hyper-focused on good things. Let me tell you something. This is very, very important. Sometimes the greatest enemy to our spiritual walk with God is not blatant, overt sin. Sometimes our greatest hindrance to our walk with Jesus is good things. Because we can be so focused on doing good things that we become closed off thinking, well, I'm doing this good thing. I'm doing this good thing for God. And all of a sudden, we don't let God do something else. Or we think we're better than somebody else because we're doing this good thing and they're not. We become so hyper-focused on the good that we, in essence, begin to shut out even God and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. The good things in our life can be just as dangerous as what we perceive to be the bad things. And my friends, God is often doing new things, and God is always working around us, but we must be alert to what God is doing. We must ask for eyes to see. Look at the scriptures. Look at how many times we see people who miss things, and we're like, how could you ever miss that? I had a conversation with someone in my church Christmas Eve. They said, I just don't understand. How could people in Jerusalem not know the Messiah was born? I mean, there was a star in the sky for heaven's sake. All right, the Magi, they were looking for a sign, and guess what? They saw it. And they followed the sign all the way across, you know, this wilderness, this barren land. They come to Jerusalem. They find uh, Herod. They say, where's the Messiah at? We saw a star in the sky. Herod turns to his advisors and said, they said, oh yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Listen, it was nothing new. But while the Magi saw the star and the sign, there were... Thousands of people living right in the area that missed the whole thing. Oblivious to it. Jacob laid down one night and fell asleep and had a vision from God with angels ascending and descending. And he woke up and he said, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. I never realized it. God was here and I was completely unaware of it. The king of Aram came against Israel in the Old Testament. The servant of God got up, went out early in the morning with the army and horses. The the servant, uh, Elisha's servant, came out and goes, Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? There's no way we can stand against this army. Elisha said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's more of us than there are of them. He goes, What are you talking about? We're going to die here. And here's what it says in 2 Kings 6, verse 17. Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. You see, the reality, leave this verse up for a moment. The reality is God was already at work. Something was already happening. The prayer was not God do something. The prayer of Elisha was God open his eyes so we can see what you're already doing. You've already got provision. Help this guy to see it. 
And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Because God was doing something, but the servant was blind to it. My friends, we need to have alertness. We need to pray for discernment to say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What new things are you trying to do in me, through me, and around me? Over the holiday, I met with a relative that had been a, a longtime smoker. And I was talking to this relative, and I said, so, you know, I said, you know, so how long have you stopped smoking? He said, it's been a, a year or two, and we had this conversation. I said, so you never did, t- I mean, what, how'd you, how'd you stop? And this relative said to me, she said, you know, I tried multiple times. I knew that, that she did. She goes, I tried multiple times to stop smoking. I couldn't stop smoking. And she said, one day I went to church, and there was a guest speaker at church. And her husband was very, very sick, and he since went to be with the Lord last year. But he was very ill. And they went to the service. They had a guest speaker. And the, the, the speaker said, is there anybody here that needs physical healing? I want you to come forward. And so this woman takes her husband to the front of the altar of the church for the pastor to pray for the man, for, the, for her husband. And so the man comes forward with his wife, and the wife comes forward with, you know, to get her husband prayed for. And the minister looks at the wife, and, um, and he says, well, before I pray for him, I'm praying for you. And she didn't say anything, and he didn't say anything, and this was a person she didn't know. And the man laid hands on her and began to pray for this woman and prayed for God to heal her broken heart and the, the, the empty places in her life that she's been self-medicating to be able to heal them. And he prayed for her, and she thought, this is really weird. Why is this guy praying this stuff? He doesn't know me. Prayed all this stuff about deliverance and healing on her life, breaking the chains in her life, and then he prayed for the man that was sick. She went home after church, went into the garage, which was her pattern, lit a cigarette, took a couple puffs. She goes, this really tastes horrible. I got a bad cigarette. She put it out, went back in the house. Two days later, she realized she hadn't smoked a cigarette in two days. She went out to the garage, and she still didn't perceive anything yet. She's just like, I just can't believe I haven't smoked for two days. Jeez, I just, like, I forgot to smoke, all right? She went out in the garage, and then she lit a cigarette, and she lights a cigarette. All of a sudden, she thought about this guy's prayer. And she's sitting there with a cigarette, lit cigarette in her hand, thinking about how bad the last cigarettes tasted, the fact that she just hasn't smoked for two days, and all of a sudden she began to think about what this guy prayed over her life. And she says, God, are you doing something here? What are you doing? And she takes a cigarette, and she puts a cigarette out, and she has not had a cigarette for two years. My friends, sometimes God is doing things, and we are oblivious to it. We are so caught up with our agendas and our fast-paced life and our will, even though we sometimes disguise it as God's will. And sometimes God is doing things, but we don't have the discernment. We don't have eyes that are open. We don't have hearts that are open. And sometimes we miss the fact. The Lord said to the people, don't you perceive it? I'm at work in your midst, and I'm doing some new things, some things completely different. Don't you perceive it? Fourth and finally, we should look forward with faith and anticipation of great things. Faith and anticipation of great things. Because when God is doing new things, God is doing good things. Let me tell you something. Not every good thing is an easy thing, though. Sometimes God does hard things. Because let me tell you something. You can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. And sometimes God has to bring death into our life. And sometimes God allows hardship 
to come into our life. And as I said earlier, sometimes God disciplines those whom he loves. And sometimes God draws his presence back and allows us to walk through a shadow or, or to walk through a valley uh, of darkness and, and, and just where we don't see God do anything. Listen, God does these things. Not everything in our life that God does that is good means that it is easy or fun. Because sometimes it is hard And Jesus never said it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, he said, unlike the prosperity gospel people, Jesus said, straight, narrow, and hard is the road that leads to eternal life. I Listen, I've heard some people do some very tricky exegesis on that verse to try to explain it. But let me just tell you something. Take it for what Jesus said. Because if Jesus had to endure rejection, people lied against him, In John chapter 5, a guy that he heals turns him into the authorities. He has to ultimately be be deceived and, and, and turned over by Judas. He ends up on a cross. Listen, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians, all right, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. That's an awesome verse, isn't it? I want to know Christ. Listen, we could sing about that all day. I want to know you, God, and I want the power of the resurrection of my life. You know what the second half of that verse says? I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what Paul said. This idea that I'm a Christian, I'm never going to have any problems. Let me tell you something. That is nowhere taught in the New Testament. It is, it is, it is deceptive. And it hurts our spirituality. Because when we have problems, we think God's not working, or I don't have enough faith, or it's the church's fault because they're, not, they're praying for me, I'm not getting healed. So, Pastor King, you don't have enough faith, I need to find a church where I'm going to get a pastor going to heal me. God is going to do new things and good things, and we need to anticipate that. But not every new thing, not every, every good thing is an easy thing. Let's look back at this one more time at Isaiah 43. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Look at this. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, in Illinois, it's hard for us to understand what it's like to be in a wilderness and really be lost. But if you've ever been hiking in the mountains, you've ever been uh, in a place in the part of the world, you know, maybe out in the middle of an ocean, you know, there are people who still get lost. I mean, there was a story around Christmas time of a lady that their, their GPS took them off the road. They got their car stuck. Did you hear the story? This lady was like for three or four or five days hiking in the snow. They said it was a miracle she got out. Listen, the Lord said, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. When you have no GPS and no direction and no light and you're just truly, you don't know which way to turn, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. I'm going to bring streams in the wasteland. When, when everything is dried up and everything is parched, and you're dying of thirst, I'm going to bring an oasis. I'm going to bring water in the middle of the desert. The Bible also says that I will bring beauty out of ashes. The Lord says, I will restore the years the locust has eaten. And so, my friends, as we look forward, we must understand that God is always at work, and he is going to be at work no matter what we face, how easy, how fun, how hard. God is always going to be at work in our life and in our world. We need to understand that things are going to change. We just need to accept that and say, God, whatever you want to do, we have to look forward and be perceptive. Say, God, help me to see what it is that you're doing. And then we have to have faith that God is going to do something wonderful, that he is going to make a way in the wilderness, that he is going to bring streams in the wasteland. 
In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine, according to his power that is what? At work in us. His power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and through Jesus Christ, through generation and generation, forever and ever. Amen. My friends, the, the Apostle Paul says, listen. He says, God, God, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or think. And we must have faith. You know, as, as the singers were singing earlier, this, this last song, which hopefully we can sing again at the end here uh, when we pray. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is here in, in the evidence song. Um, as he was singing that song, I thought about this. You know that Jesus, who did all these miracles, right? He, he healed the lame and lepers, did all these great miracles. But the Bible says that when Jesus came to his hometown, he was unable to do miracles because of their unbelief. Jesus was, was, was able to do miracles, but in his hometown, he was unable to do miracles because God is not going to force his miraculous work down the throats of people who don't really believe he can do it. One of the questions Jesus often asked people before he healed them is, what do you want me to do for you? Do you believe? Right? Mark chapter 9, the guy says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus says, okay. And he honored the man's faith, even though his faith was small. And my friends, sometimes God wants to do something, but he does not do something because we don't have the faith to believe. Do we have the faith to believe? As we look forward, are we willing to believe that God, even today, just as in the days of Isaiah, just in the days of Jesus, are we willing to believe that God is at work, that God is doing a new thing? Are we able to open our eyes that we may perceive this? And are we trusting and able to walk in faith that God is making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland? That God is going to touch bodies. That God is going to open doors of opportunity. That God is going to call people into ministry. That God is going to provide. That God is going to reconcile and heal relationships. Are we willing to believe it? I ran into a friend of mine that's a non-believer a couple of weeks ago. It was actually just right before Christmas. And we're talking, and he says to me, um, so Jim, he goes, man, everything's just crazy in the world right now, and all this stuff with Caterpillar and the economy. He goes, man, I bet your church is just getting killed financially, isn't it? Is everything all right? I said, man, you won't believe this. I said, we have to replace the roof on our church. It's like $175,000. Our church was able to give money. We have all that money raised this year to be able to pay, do that in the spring, and it's all going to be paid off debt-free. And on top of that, our church was so generous, we're going to be almost $200,000 above our projected giving for the year. We're entering the year giving more money to missions than we've ever gave. We just sent off, matter of fact, I said the first year, we're sending almost $25,000 to Haiti to do mission work, to rebuild a church, a medical clinic, and a school, and, and 30 homes in one particular village. I go, it's just amazing. And my friend looked at me, he's not a believer, he goes, I don't believe that. Because you see, sometimes God does the unbelievable. And sometimes God shows up. But we have to be willing to believe. And we have to be willing to trust. So what I want to do here in closing is I would like to have the band come back out and just lead us in a song of worship. And I want to encourage you to come forward. I don't know how God's spoken to you. For some of you, it may just be that, that, that you know, God's spoken to you about the fact that you just need to release. You've got to let go and say, God, I just, I've got to trust your will. I'm going to stop holding on to my kids. I'm going to stop holding on to my addiction. I'm going to stop holding on to this relationship. 
Uh, I'm going to stop holding on to this fear of my finance. I'm just going to release it and give it to you. For some of us, it's faith. Faith saying, God, just do something. God, show up. Make a stream in the wilderness. God, make a way in the wilderness. Make a stream in my desert. For some of us, it's, God, open my eyes that I can see what it is you are doing in me, that I can see what it is you are doing through me, that I can see what it is that you're doing around me. Not that I can control it, but just that I can see it to be able to partner with you to do what it is that you're doing. And so as I close, I want to read this verse to you just one more time. And then as the band comes, what I want to ask you to do is just come forward. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, and however you feel compelled to pray, pray. My family, my, my family is in a season where we need God to show up. In my own life, I need God to show up. And so I'm praying with you today that God will make a way in my wilderness, that God will bring streams in the midst of my wasteland. And I don't know how you need to pray, but let's hold this before us. Because the Lord said, and the Lord did, and the Lord is still doing today. Behold, he said, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, some of us with a lot of faith, some of us with a little faith, and maybe there are some here with no faith. But God, we all come here today because we need you, we want you. So Lord, whether you are speaking to us about confidence and that we just need to trust that you are going to work through any and every situation we face, whether we are coming here today and and we just need to loosen our grip on all the things in life that we're trying to control, whether we're we're coming before you today, dear God, and, and we just need something. We need healing. We need hope. We need deliverance. We pray that in this atmosphere, in this room, the Spirit of God would work in our lives and through our lives, and it would be in your name and for your glory. Amen. Would you all please stand, uh, join us in singing, and if the Lord has spoken to your heart, would you come forward and just seek Him right now?